The Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Land Trust. Have you heard how landowners are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use? Millions of outdoor recreators seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Landowners are partnering with the Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit landtrust.com/boa as in business of agriculture to learn more. That's landtrust.com/boa. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you knew that. You heard that in the introduction. Got a great topic for you today, a very timely topic and something that we're going to go a little deeper on the the headlines, if you will. I got Bill Connerly here. He's an economist and a consultant. We spoke at a conference last month, and uh, that's how we met. And I said, you know what? I want you to come on here and share some economic insights and outlook for my listeners, because you know what? You're watching watching the news, you hear about all the time, you know that interest rates are going up, or that's what we've been told. We've been told that the inflation is transitory. They told us that in uh, 2021, I called bullshit. You know what? Transitory, not a word I'd ever heard in any economics class I ever took, really means temporary. And I'm like, what's temporary about the fact that we're paying people to not work, that uh, that we can't get stuff, and that we've uh, just disrupted the entire world economy, and we expect that somehow that's going to just all of a sudden result itself. So we're going to talk about why the inflation situation is not transitory, why the economic uh, changes that are in motion are going to impact you and how they will impact you in the business of agriculture. We're going to dig into all things as it pertains to the agricultural economy and you, the agricultural professional. Uh, Bill Connolly, welcome to the business of agriculture. Great to be here, Damian. So, yeah, we met there. Uh, it was a nice gig because I did. I was in Arizona uh, where I live in the wintertime and you were there and you came up, introduced yourself. Uh, I wasn't able to catch your presentation, but I got the notes on it and I'm like, yeah, perfect. Let's go into some of this stuff. If you're just being asked in general, what do I need to know about the economic outlook here in uh, Q1 of 2022? You know, for the broad range 30, of bus- 30,000 foot, 30,000 foot as for the say. broad range of businesses in America, ranging banking, manufacturing, and I think ag too, the economy is going to be strong. There is a ton of stimulus that's been put into this economy. The Federal Reserve is continuing as of, you know, here it is, February uh, 2022. The Fed is continuing to push monetary stimulus in. Congress, of course, and the president are putting in fiscal policy stimulus continuously. So the near term looks very, very good. Uh, And I hear people worrying about recession and I'm worried, but not for 2022 and probably not for 2023. So right now the economy looks very strong, but at some point uh, we got too much stimulus in this economy. That was going to be my next thing. So uh, just for the listener, what you need to understand is he is not and does not purport to be an agricultural economist. You got me for that. I'm bringing it back to ag. He's just, I'm on the consumption end of the food chain. Yeah. He's an eater uh, as all, as all, uh, as all humans are. 
he's going to bring you the economic stuff. I'm going to keep tying it back to agriculture as best I can. And I'm going to go with a couple of these things. First off, um, a few truisms. Agriculture tends to be counter cyclical. Um, you know, during 2006 till about 2013, the broad economy was bad. We had all these people that were in houses that they should have never bought that all of a sudden are being foreclosed. We've got uh, inflation, uh, not inflation. We have uh, unemployment issues, although I, you got to be careful about even what you read into unemployment numbers because they're so fudged and how they concoct them. But we know that things were really bad. 06 to 013. And that was the exact time that agriculture was on steroids in what we'd call an agricultural super cycle. Agriculture in the 70s, uh, you know, just firecracker, man, just going crazy. Whereas the, there was uh, stagflation and all these kinds of things, high gas prices, the consumer in middle America was actually hurting. The 80s, uh, after Reagan uh, started doing his thing by 82, things took off. The the broad economy through the mid 80s was amazing, whereas agriculture is out here dying. Literally, as I point out, Bill, uh, I've lived through the 80s in ag. Old people talk about it. Young people just kind of like, what are you even talking about? Because, you know, it's like, oh, walking uphill both ways in a snowstorm. No, I make a very simple point about the 80s. And since you work with banks, you can appreciate this. Here's how bad the 80s were in agriculture, at least in the Midwest where I'm from. Some assets were so underwater, the bank wouldn't even repossess them. That is a true story. That's a true story. Ask old ag bankers that were in the business in the 80s. In the 80s, there were some farm assets that were so toxic, the bank wouldn't even repossess them because they didn't want it on their books. That's a true story. So I've been through this. Ag is generally countercyclical. The 80s was really good for a whole bunch of folks. Ag's getting washed. Right now, ag's looking good again, but so is everything. So I'm wondering, is there going to be this weird thing where ag actually goes in lockstep with the general economy? Because we were worried about, uh, you know, the ag economy heading into this year. And now, my God, I just watched a webinar from my alma mater, Purdue, $16.40 soybeans through the summer, new crop about a buck or so off of that. Commodity prices look good. Is ag going to move in lockstep with the general economy? Is everybody going to be happy? Is it going to be rainbows and unicorns for everybody, ag and the rest of the general sector? Talk to me. Well, a few years ago, I did a statistical analysis. Somebody asked me to speak at an ag conference. And what I saw was I saw some instances like you described where ag was counter cyclical to the economy. But I found other historical in instances where it was uncorrelated um, or so I think of it as, yeah, ag can be counter cyclical. It can be cyclical on the same um, cycle, uh, it can be different. So it's, I think of it as just different. So much of what, uh, and let me give you what I see, and you tell me if I'm wrong, uh, Damien, but um, so much of what impacts a farmer is global agricultural prices that maybe don't have anything to do with the U.S. economy. Uh, yields, I know nothing about yields, Sure. Um, as well as some costs, which are, I think, correlated with the economy oftentimes, but in a loose way. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. Um, and I'll, I think a bunch of my listeners, some of them are young enough that they won't even have the history. And some of them are going to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. So I'll give you a couple of thoughts on what you just said. Does is ag is impacted uh, by things that happen on what happens to normal suburban America, 
like you said, the normal suburban American probably doesn't give two hoots in hell about the crop report coming out of Argentina, whereas certainly that impacts our industry, right? Um, you know, the person that works in the service sector probably doesn't care whether um, uh, whether or not Japan uh, and us forge a trade relationship and they start bringing in more American beef. I, I get what you're saying. So do those things have an out, do world events have an outsized impact on agriculture in many ways, certainly on pro production and consumption or trade. Yes, there is no question. Um, so, so that being what that is now, you also said then about yields, which you're not a farm guy in general, our yields have just moved right up a stair step from the time I was a kid. And from 50 years before I was even born yeah. generally in the last hundred years, not even generally, the, the trend line obviously is more yield every year, about a couple more bushels of corn per acre, per year uh, yield bump through technology and better practices, about one bushel more soybeans. I think wheat probably is about the same on, on average. We go about one bushel up or two bushels up every year. The last time we had a decline that was significant more than just, you know, okay, as we all know, there's always the, the little blip, then the up, then the blip, then the up. The last time there was any significant uh, yield drag was 2012, which was a drought year that affected everything from, uh, you know, West of Pennsylvania until about, uh, you know, until you hit the Rockies. So um, that was significant. So those are the two things that tend to impact us. Yes. That don't impact the other uh, general folks. But right now, and this is where we're going with this, you talked about what happens globally. Right now, what's happening globally has impacted the suburban consumer more than it probably ever has. Uh, trade supply chain. We've heard more words supply chain in the last year than ever. Is that is that something that we in general uh are going to get through. I say it's going to be a while. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get through it. We get through everything except death. Um, but it's, uh, I, I think the supply chain thing is going to gradually improve. Uh, I'm guessing, and this is a, just a wild ass guess, um, 80% of our supply chain problems are labor problems. So I, I have a consulting client uh, needed a truckload of brass for his manufacturing plant. Uh, the, the brass supplier says, I've got your brass. It's right. It's sitting here on a trailer. As soon as we can find a truck driver willing to, to take it a thousand miles up to you, you'll have your brass. So is that a supply chain problem, a labor problem? Um, the same guy called up another supplier and says, hey, we're getting a lot of orders. Can you increase what your deliveries to us? And the guy says, no, because I can't hire more people to produce the stuff that I sell to you. So uh, but, but labor is getting a little bit more available. Yeah. It is a longer time period since we gave people money for nothing. And some people use that money to um, the polite way is to say they they search for a more suitable job. Other people just sat on the couch playing video games, not looking for a job at all because they had money on the uh, you know, in their account. So labor is getting a little bit more available. We're working through some of the supply chain issues, uh, but. It's not going to be over, but it's not going to be quite as bad through the rest of 2022. And, you know, at this ag conference, I'm hearing farmers talk about they need a repair part 
and, the, and, and it's not available. So this is not just about consumers not getting the brand of tomato sauce that they really like and having to settle for a different brand. It's equipment not working. There is that. And this is this is something that, uh, you know, it's, it's all about production. And, you know, as much as our critics, oh, those factory farms. Well, the reality is a farm is a factory. It's in the business of manufacturing commodities that become food or clothing. Right. Uh, in the case of cotton, wool, whatever. So the main thing is and sometimes fuel. Obviously, we use 38 percent of our corn crop for for corn. So I guess we are the food, fuel, fiber manufacturing of the raw products for that. And if your assembly line goes down, <laughs> which we're talking about, if your manufacturing plant can't work, because remember that $400,000 tractor that is hooked onto the planter, if it needs a part and that part ain't around, that planter does not tow itself. So I believe that we are going to see some hiccups on that. But what's remarkable is we generally don't ever see a yield drag. Again, weather is usually the reason for the yield drag. It's not about the parts. Now, the good thing is in a place like the United States, we're probably over-equipped. Now, your, 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 your farm buddies, your farm buddies you're drinking coffee with don't want to admit that because they love machinery, man. They love iron. They go to the Louisville <laughs> Farm Machinery Show and they'll walk around, look at big equipment and, and you know, just, just be like jazzed up like a, like a teenager at a swimsuit competition. You know what I mean? Like, they're into this. But the thing is, in general, we have a bit more machinery than we need. So if this piece of equipment doesn't work, we probably can substitute in something, use, you know, use a, we can probably still get it done. Um, but there's the issue of inputs and you don't work in ag, but I'm seeing it and I've recorded about this. We can't get the inputs, fertilizer, chemistry, whatever. Uh, what are you seeing in the broader? I mean, is this happening in tier factories, your manufacturing clients? Can they get, are they, are they patching through? Are, are they over-equipped? If they're part, if they don't get a part, can they open up uh, the old assembly line over in the old facility and still get it done? Yeah. Well, well there are two issues you raised and we, we ought to talk about um, fuel and fertilizer prices. But before we get there, I'll um, uh, talk about what I'm seeing in the rest of the economy, both service sector like banking, as well as manufacturing. We used to worry about robots taking people's jobs. Now we're hoping hoping that robots will fill the empty positions because, you know, if somebody can't work on an assembly line, the manager uh, of the plant says, can we get a robot to do this assembly work that we used to have humans doing? Or instead of a human teller at the branch, can we automate this process somehow? Uh, phone trees uh, do a better job of not needing humans to provide our services. But they and piss you off. I mean, let's face it. I'd still rather, even if a person speaks broken English, I'd still rather talk to a human than have to keep listening to the recordings about push five if it's this and nine if it's that and whatever. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But, but, but companies are trying as hard, as fast as they can uh, to further automate their processes across the board. And sometimes it happens and you don't even see it. And that's best that you don't see the, 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 the computer, but it just sort of says, oh, we saw this happen. We took action. It's done. Um, so uh, that's good. But but all of the uh, computers, the machinery, the robots are on back order right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. So we want to automate 
but the the places that make the automation aren't automated enough to be automate to get the automation right. to us. Yeah. Uh, Bill Connerly is who we're talking to. If you forgot, he's an economist and a consultant, and we're going to hear a lot more from him. We're going to talk about this excess capital. We're going to talk about the demand picture. And I'm talking about everything, you know, in, in econ. So we always talk about widgets. We're going to talk about demand picture, meaning what's it look like on the demand side for everything from, from food to fuel to uh, furniture. And then we're also going to talk about some prices as it impacts you. I want to remind you right now, dear listener, that um, if you want to see what's happening at some of the most forward thinking farms in America, I've teamed up with extreme ag. There is no E in front of extreme. It's just extreme ag and their website is extremeag.farm. I would encourage you to check out the content I'm helping these, uh, these folks create uh, product trials, new stuff that's coming out from a, a multitude of agricultural companies, farming practices, business uh, practices, how to work with your family, passing on to the next generation, the inner struggle that you deal with when you're uh, trying to expand, all these things that we deal with in production agriculture. So if you're a farmer looking to up your game, uh, you can learn a lot from what they're doing in the extreme ag. If you are an agricultural professional and you want to know what's happening at some of the larger scale forward-thinking farmers, I encourage you to check out extremeag.farm, extremeag.farm. We've got tons and tons of videos and audios and and content that will uh, give you some insights on what's happening in production agriculture at the highest level. Check out extremeag.farm. Bill Connerly, demand picture. Um, (laughs) Everybody two years ago, running to the grocery store, hoarding toilet paper. Uh, I felt stupid. I didn't even like to be a participant in it, but I went to the grocery store at 7 a.m. and I had to go right to the aisle that sells toilet paper. I'm like, you know what? I've always kept food on hand. I've always kept everything on hand. I'm a pretty prepared guy, but for God's sakes, I didn't have three months worth of toilet paper on hand. So anyway, we saw something crazy happen in that because of Government imposed shutdowns and disruptions. The consumer did what humans do, got a little bit panicky. I think we're still there. A Wall Street article says that uh, 26% increase in memberships to places like Sam's Club and Costco. Well, you don't go there uh, to buy a tube of toothpaste. You go there to buy 14 tubes of toothpaste or in a bundle pack. You go there to buy huge quantities of stuff. The consumer's demand for everything from toothpaste to toilet paper to tofu has changed. What are you seeing? Because I'm not sure that I'm not sure that this goes away. And you know, if it does, it's going to be another year or two. There's a lot of folks that are still stockpiling is my understanding. Yeah. A a couple of things happened in the first lockdowns in 2020. uh, People could not go travel, could not take vacations, could not dine out. So they uh, sheltered at home and then they said the home needs more blinds and I want to get out of the house on a bicycle or a boat. And pretty soon blinds, boats and bicycles were all on back order. And I've talked to people in all of those industries and it was just a sudden surge of demand. Uh, You know, the do it yourself projects pushed lumber prices way up and then home building. And, you know, there will maybe be a little bit more of higher inventory, but let's say that every household in America doubles its um, inventory of staples, you know, toilet paper, canned foods, pasta, the stuff that they're 
can store. Um, That's a one-time increase in demand, and then it's all over, and we're running out of storage space. In fact, if you've lived in a house very long, you've probably run out of storage space because you've accumulated too much junk. I'm just extrapolating from the Connerly family experience. Right, right, right. (laughs) We've got too much stuff. Um, As As most American households do. But since we're in the ag business here, on food... It is not like saying I have an old VCR uh, in that storage room and I have uh, too many books on my bookshelf. Food is perishable and obviously gets eaten. So generally, um, yeah, we saw the demand bump and apparently pantries are fuller. That's what I just read in that article the other day. Memberships to these wholesale clubs, people are buying bigger quantities, but they're they are eating more at home and this changed how, so your, your point is demand went up once on the stockpiling, but then it doesn't continue to go up unless you build a, a, a onto your house just to put in your war chest of food. Your point was we, we would probably be leveling off now because we've already stocked up. It's kind of your point. Yeah. Right. And, and the other thing to keep in mind is that the uh, grocery store, a distribution channel is very different from the institutional restaurant food service channel. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the packaging is different and uh, the products are different. For instance, um, uh, people eat fish when they're dining out a lot more than they eat fish at home. Don't know how to cook it, something like that. Yep. So, and uh, French fries are mostly an, a dine out thing rather than an eat at home thing. So, I believe that we'll see, I'm not an epidemiologist, but my working assumption in the economic forecast is uh, we get closer to the old normal, not quite there, but closer to it. People eat out in restaurants more, kids are back in school with institutional you know, dormitory food. And uh, we have to shift the food supply channel from the home to the food service industry again. Yeah. So that was the big point of the article also that allegedly we're like at 86% of meals consumed at home now. And the article said that that's uh, more than it's ever been, you know, and it, and it was uh, a few well, less than, more than it's ever been in recent years. In I recent think your years, grandparents certainly. probably mostly had their meals at home. When we went to, out to eat uh, the Mason household, it was a big deal. Like if my dad got an extra shift on the railroad or the milk check was particularly high in uh, content premiums because you get paid in dairy, by the way, if you have more butterfat, protein, et cetera, in your milk, if the milk check was good or, or Harold got an extra shift at the railroad, maybe after church on Sunday, we might go to Richard's restaurant and oh my God, it was a big deal. So yes, you're right. We <laughs> one meal out, we ate one meal out maybe per month <laughs> growing up. Whereas of course, if Mrs. Mason and I are just out running around I'm like yeah you want to grab something to eat sure uh so the point is yeah what's this mean to agriculture because we're still producing the stuff but i would tell my ag folks your mix of products now i mean it's still gonna be corn soybeans etc but i think that there's going to be a real push speaking of demand for not just the packaging but the consumer that said hey i only had fish when i went out whatever that thing should be what if it starts being like 
I kind of got into cooking when I was home more. And now when I go to the grocery, I want to see if there's this flax based flour so I can make this. You know, I, I think there is that there's some reality to that or does the American consumer just revert to being lazy and, and, uh, and go to McDonald's as soon as things get back to normal? What do you think? Well, there's been a long run trend of people getting older. I mean, people have always been getting older when they don't die, uh, but the baby boomers aging and that has increased interest in like home gardening. Yep. And uh, maybe that's part of the cooking. Although with the kids out of the house, uh, I see plenty of my um, uh, retired uh, neighbors going out to eat a fair amount. But I could see more people becoming foodies. But this is going to be kind of a small, gradual part. Uh, you know, 10 years from now, you'll probably be able to see the trend. But I don't think it'll have a big impact on uh, the food system. Uh, I, I think it has. I think it evolves. You know, I would tell my well, there was no such thing as Whole Foods and AJ's and Trader Joe and all the and then certainly the at home stuff. You can right now, as soon as we get off of recording this, you can hop on the computer you're on right now and you can order up um, grass fed organic lamb uh, raised uh, holistically uh, and blessed by a rabbi in California. I, I, I mean, honestly, I'm guessing that as soon as I hang up, you could just Google that and you could find it. And that's, we didn't have a consumer that ate food that they ordered really much at all until the last two years. You knew about Omaha steaks, um, but did you really ever just say, I'm going to order groceries online and also exotic groceries? So I think there's a demand picture there where a lot more value added specialty niche stuff is going to continue to grow in, in consumption. Yeah. My son in uh, Manhattan uh, mostly uses one of the, the apps, DoorDash or something like that, to order restaurant prepared meals delivered to his door. Bill Connerly, uh, The Economist. Um, when we talk about money, agriculture is a capital intensive business. We burn through shitloads of capital. <laughs> it's, you know, a uh, $400,000 tractor, uh, $12,000 acre of land, uh, input prices, fertilizer is up double, especially on like nitrogen and a couple other things. We need capital. Um, but of all things, what's happened, you talked about a consumer being flush with cash because government programs, and of course, that's why we have inflation, because when the government continues to just throw money around, it makes money worth less. That's the epitome of inflation. That's the definition of inflation. There's boatloads of capital around out there, but is it is it um, is it a record amount? A friend of mine, investor guy, sent me a thing, some ungodly thing, like the amount of venture capital looking for somewhere to go was at a record high by double the amount of what it was just a couple of years ago. Is this real? Well, it's certainly happening. And the Federal Reserve, as well as central banks in other countries, uh, just flooded the economy with, with money. Uh, interest rates went to short-term interest rates for safe stuff like treasury bills, approximately zero. Your bank account pays you approximately zero. Zero. <laughs> and um, uh, so, you know, we, and uh, re retirees used to uh, be advised to have a significant, a significant portion of your assets in bonds. Bonds are yielding diddly squat these days. Yeah. You know, well, hey, it, big deal. You can get 2% uh, 
today on a 10-year treasury bond. The rate just went up 2% with a 7.5% inflation rate yeah, that, announced. Was, that was this morning's headline. By, that was this morning's headline. Uh, I saw that 2%. Yeah, when you're getting 2% on your money, and by the way, when they say inflation is going up 7%, I believe that that is, again, the same government that told you inflation was transitory, same government that told you two weeks to flatten the curve is also telling you inflation 7%. Tell that to the used car prices. Tell that to the gas prices. Tell that to the housing prices. Tell that to the chicken and beef prices. Tell that to the, I can go on and on and on. I don't believe we're really talking about 7% inflation for what consumers actually consume. Yeah, I uh, do not share your skepticism on the statistics. Well, you live on the left coast, so you probably tend to believe <laughs> the government, whereas I'm one of these obviously anti-government wackos. I'm out here driving my semi to Ottawa. But 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 in in a sense, it doesn't make much difference. Is the number 7% or 5% or 12%, whatever it is, it's really high. Yeah, It's well above the Federal Reserve's target, well above what we've gotten used to over the last two decades. And it's at a level that it demands action. So let's not worry about the specific number. Let's just say, hey, it's high. The the Fed is excreting bricks and uh, is going to have to do something. Inflation, as it pertains to our friends in agriculture, if it means that your farm ground is up 20%, as it is in the Midwest, 2021, it went up 20% or so. Uh, Federal Reserve out of Chicago called it 18. I could give you enough anecdotal that I'd say it's a it push north of that. That's good if you're the owner, pretty bad if you're the buyer. <laughs> what else do you see happening on inflation, especially as it might pertain to the friend, my friends in this business called agriculture? Yeah. You know, when the inflation report comes out, somebody says, oh, well, it's it's up because of oil and used cars and and they name some specific things but nobody ever imagines that all prices would rise at the same rate mm-hmm. so some um demand side issues uh are very sensitive to the economy how much uh oil uh, crude oil, gasoline, whatever uh, the economy uses is very sensitive, both in terms of industrial facilities operating as well as people driving their cars either to work or for for pleasure. So uh, the demand for oil can go up very, very quickly. But uh, how long does it take to get new oil wells producing and new refineries producing? If we're going to have a significant increase in oil consumption, it's going to take about a decade to get the production going. So demand goes up quickly, production goes up slowly, prices have to go up. And that doesn't mean that it's just oil causing inflation. It's the overstimulus causing inflation. It shows up first in um, oil. It shows up early in used cars because when somebody gets more money, oh, I'm going to upgrade my ride. But you know, it takes it takes three years to pr- to, to produce a used car. Yeah, right, right. Um, back to the thing about capital. We just talked about inflation because that's essentially what. And you know, and I I uh, I like to always, uh, as you say, you know, we 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 take an economic concept because a lot of folks got scared of it. They, they heard about these supply and demand curves and it scared them and, you know, uh, marginal utility uh, rates of return, et cetera. But you know, it's real simple when you think about it, we're talking about human behavior. And while we're talking about human behavior and we get on inflation, let's go back to interest. 
farm people tend to pay a lot of interest. You got interest on your real estate, but also you got interest on your operating. Cause again, it takes a lot of capital, you know, a couple million dollars. You got to go and borrow to put out a crop. If you're a sizable farm operator, there's boatloads of capital floating around looking for somewhere to go. Shouldn't that keep interest rates low? Just because when there's so darn much money hanging around, there's then not the premium to pay for the interest for that. So it's, it's kind of like, I've got this real economic quandary, there's gazillions of dollars sitting there with looking for somewhere to go. They'd be happy with something that's better than 0% return at your bank. The other thing is the Federal Reserve says, well, we're going to increase interest rates. So there's, there's these two forces that seems to me that are going against each other. Excess amounts of capital hungry for some return. And then the Federal Reserve saying, yep, we're going to make interest higher. How does this work? Oh, the Fed is going to drain money out of the system. They've been... Um, Printing money virtually, uh, you know, it's all computer transactions now, but basically they've been printing money, buying treasury bonds and short term bills, and uh, that's been flooding and they're going to reverse that. Uh, So what they're going to do is they're going to sell these bonds and somebody will say, "Okay, I'm 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 ready to uh, buy a bond. The uh, Federal Reserve will take the money and virtually burn it. So they're going to try to stop growing the money supply, maybe even shrink it a little bit. Uh, and that's going on in Europe and UK as well. Not so much. in. Yeah, Asia. They call it stimulus. So they've been stimulating the economy um, by throwing this money supply out there. Um, so that would, as, as you say, drain it. But there still is a boatload of capital sitting there somewhere to go, which is why interest rates are low. Am I right? That's right. Absolutely. Interest rates going up by one point. Uh, you're more on the manufacturing and banking side. I'm bringing the ag side. You throw an extra percent on operating loan. Is it uh, going to make these people go from profitable to, to break even to losing? Uh, maybe some of them. You know, uh, I I always assume in any industry, there's a range of operations and some folks are well capitalized. Some folks are right on the hairy edge of disaster. And if you if a if an operator has borrowed so much that a one percentage point increase in the interest rate uh, sends him into the red, uh, he's borrowed too much. (laughs) Uh, And I think, you know, every opportunity and and I say this to uh, businesses, uh, you know, non-ag businesses, every opportunity you've got to lock in your financing uh, long term, go ahead and do it. Uh, We're in good years. This is a great time to pay down um, the operating lines. There's a temptation to say, oh, let's buy something shiny and new. Um, let's, you know, go on a vacation to Tahiti. Uh, but, uh, the good years should be used to improve financial condition mm-hmm. because, uh, interest rates go up, inflation comes down. What do you think is going to happen to farm asset values? Yeah. They go down a little bit also. So, like and, they- and, and that will be a buying opportunity. I think I'm not an ad guy, but when I okay. see the, the prospect of values of, of like land and other resources going down, I'm saying let's conserve cash now so we can take advantage of that. It's yeah, time well- to, it's time to write the shopping list, but not 
the time to go to the store. You got that? <laughs> yeah, I like what you're saying. So you and I disagree about uh, the rate of inflation. Do we agree about its prospect of of coming to an end? Because here's the thing. I lived through the stagflation era, uh, stagnant economy, rampant inflation. And then I have posed to my agriculture people, I think we're in an era now that's going to be called regulation. I coined that term. In fact, I own regulation.com because you've got inflation and now you've got a regulatory environment where we're going to continue to place more rules and and hurdles out there that then add cost to the to everything. Do you believe that we are going to have more inflation and it's going to be here for a while and do you agree with my assessment on regulation? Uh, I think that we that inflation will stay high for 2 or 3 years. Uh, there are long time lags between monetary policy and inflation effects. The Federal Reserve is ignoring that, but that's that's a rock solid conclusion from years of economic research. Long time lags, and uh, as a result, even if the Fed takes very strong action now, we're two or three years away from seeing inflation slow down. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing is that once it gets going, then it becomes the thing of I have to pay my people more because the there's a sh- labor shortage. Well, I, then you say I've got to charge more because I had to pay my people more. And then it becomes this a snowball. And, and it's frankly a vicious cycle. So I'd say we're three years of inflation. You, do you agree with my assessment that we're going to be worsened because of a overzealous regulatory environment? Regulation? I, I love the word regulation, uh, but I see it a little differently. I see each new regulation pushing up costs and thus prices in that one sector. Whereas I think of inflation as a sustained increase right. in prices. And so it's like every new regulation is just a step up, but maybe doesn't keep it going. And then you have to get into a political uh, forecast. Right now, we're in an era where uh, the administration in the United States is regulating everything. Yeah. Uh, you ought to be unionized. I ought to have to join a union to be on your podcast, even yeah, though I'm right, not getting right. paid. Uh, you know, but there, but that tide will change. You you believe that the pendulum swings because right now, if you look at if you read the tea leaves between what we have going in Washington D.C. and at some of the state governments, certainly you live in Oregon, you can you can see it there. In California, yeah, sure. the worst. We have a regulatory environment that does again uh, seem unchecked. Yes, yes, uh, I would agree with that. It will be checked eventually. There'll be a political change. I'm tempted to make a political forecast that the Republicans get control of both the House and the Senate in November of 2022. But every time I try to make a political forecast, I end up eating crow. So <laughs> so I'm being cautious about this. Uh-huh. But eventually um, the, the, the pendulum swing back. Okay, you think the pendulum swings back. So we talked about excess capital, talked about the demand picture, we talked about changes going on, inflation, uh, interest rates, et cetera. Is there anything that we didn't cover in this uh, episode that we should have as it pertains to? And and I also want to remind you, everybody that you said you love my term regulation, and I do too. Anything <laughs> yeah, we didn't that, cover that we should have? Yeah, there's one thing about inflation that is a conclusion economists have reached based on both U.S. economic history as, and as well as global comparisons. Economies with low inflation rates tend to be fairly stable. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of recessions, booms, and busts. Uh, economies with high inflation tend to have lots of booms, lots of busts, and they're close together. Uh, in the last two or three decades, we've had recessions um, after seven to 10 years of economic growth. But in the 70s and early 80s, we just had two or three years of economic growth and then a recession. Mm -hmm. I think that the Fed is going to be in uh, trouble. They'll tighten. The economy will slow down, but it'll be a time lag before inflation comes down. They'll be tempted to hit the gas and then inflation will rev up. They'll hit the brakes. So one way I put it is the booms will be boomier and the busts will be bustier. Bustier. The booms will be boomier and the bust will be bustier. I wasn't bustier sure. Almost that. Sounds, bustier almost sounds like a, a naughty word. I kind of like, you know, I typed it into Google to see if it was really a word and um, I lost two hours of productivity. Yeah. Well, that's what always happens. Um, start typing crap in there, but you didn't end up at DamianMace.com, which of course I want to remind my listeners, you know what? Uh, go to DamianMace.com for all the last 230. We've, we've produced like 230 of these episodes, dear listeners. So go and check out some of the stuff, you know, there's really good information back there. A lot of great guests like Bill Connolly right here. Um, your last point that you said you wanted to share was that we might be heading into a situation where higher highs, lower lows, because it seems like now we've got this thing. Once we invented inflation, which we did through shutting down economies and then flooding the, the consumer with a bunch of money. And I, I was against it. I've been against all of this because when I kept saying I was against the lockdowns, I saw the bigger picture because now you create this such distortion. They call it disruption. It's distortion is what it really is, Bill. Um, and then, again, some of us that know our world history, I think of Argentina when I think of a country that's been a tremendously unstable economy that has had, as you said, high highs and bustier busts. <laughs> that's a good example, isn't it, Argentina, of what you're talking about? Yeah, there are plenty of them. Zimbabwe. Yeah. I've, I've got a $100 trillion banknote. Um, from the Bank of Zimbabwe, one hundred trillion dollars, and I got it as a as a gift. Yeah, I mean it's worth it's worth a buck or two. No, less than that. It's worth <laughs> hundred trillion Zimbabwean dollars is worth a, less than a buck. Yeah. So uh, your your parting thoughts are we're gonna have booms. The person that's out here as a success minded business of agriculture uh, participant. Um, they they like you said they get their capital position right. You you said advice would be. Pay attention to the balance sheet. You know, things are, are really roaring right now, but always pay attention to the balance sheet. And you're saying add things on the left side, which is assets, right? Yeah. Um, make your shopping list, but don't go to the store quite yet. His name is Bill Connerly. He is a uh, economist, a consultant. He works a lot in manufacturing and banking. He dabbles sometimes in agriculture. I brought him on here because we spoke at the Ag View Solutions Conference that's put on by my friend Chris Barrett and Shay Folk, uh, great folks. And that's how Bill and I met, by the way. Uh, so you could check out the Ag View Solutions stuff because they have people like me and Bill to come and speak to their conferences. Um, if you want to find Mr. Connerly, how do they find you? Professor, um, I should say, PhD, doctor, technically. Doctor. Yeah, you can call doctor. me doctor, but yeah, <laughs> Bill okay, uh, works you? as well. Um, ConnerlyConsulting.com. Bill Connerly is my name. And Mr. Google is so smart that you don't even have to spell it correctly. Put in Bill Connerly, something like that. And I'm number one. 
I appreciate you being here and giving your insights, outlooks. We talked about the economy. We talked about interest rates, inflation, all things that are impacting us moving forward as business people in the year 2020. And remember, if you're in the business of food, fiber, and fuel production, you are in business. And that's why we call this the Business of Agriculture Podcast. Thank you, Mr. Connerly, Professor Connerly, Dr. Connerly, Bill Connerly. Thank you for being here. Thanks for letting me be one of 230 episodes. You betcha. Thank you. Till next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. This episode of The Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Land Trust. Landowners just like you are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use. Millions of recreators actively seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Owners of farm and ranch properties are partnering with Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit LandTrust.com BOA, as in Business of Agriculture, to learn more. That's LandTrust.com BOA.